I am speaking this morning on the judgment day. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege to come before you. We thank you that you've blessed us with your word. You've given us in Christ great hope and you've given to those without him great and terrible warning. Bless your word in our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, we pray for our brother, Pastor Robert Decker, preaching in Baltimore and with his family celebrating the birthday of his lovely mother. Bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermons sometimes have odd beginnings. This one does. In, uh, back when I had a television, uh, sometimes I'd hear this guy, and you might call him a spoofer. I tend to call him a pinpricker because uh, he, he could always stick a pin in somebody's balloon. But I found it was quite obvious, uh, quite uh, honest, because uh, he would do it with people of his own view. So I kind of admired him. We're very, very different in our viewpoint. And he's not a Christian. That's one of the places he'd stick the pin. And I've never met him. But I began to imagine, what is it going to be like for that man when the Lord comes? when somebody stands there before the great white throne on the judgment day and he looks and says, oh my God, I can hear him now. This is everything I hoped was not true. Wouldn't that be a terrible situation to be in? I shudder at the thought. Because the scripture says much about this, and we do well to pay attention. In Romans we read, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then, that was the Apostle Paul said that. Here's something Jesus said, speaking of himself. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. How's that for some? something spectacular, and all the angels with him, then he shall sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, these are the believers. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, that's a lovely thing to hear, a lovely thing to look forward to. There are many benefits in the judgment day, many benefits from having Christ now. And the Lord said, come, you who have been blessed before the judgment day, you have 
been blessed by my Father. Now come and inherit the inheritance prepared for you. Well, there's more to it than inheritance. But we should think about that word for a minute. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And all things belong to Christ. And when you are in him, you are a joint heir with Christ, for what is his is yours too, because Christ is married to the bride of Christ, the church, composed of all who have trusted in him. Well, he made the sun, the moon, the stars, and a few other things. And uh, it's hard for us to believe that everything is ours in Christ. You may feel poor, you may be poor, but you're still richer than Bill Gates when you have Christ as your Savior and your Lord. But it's not just inheritance. There's going to be a new heaven, a new, new earth. This place is going to be done away with. We shall have when Christ comes no sin in us. That'll be a big change. And there shall be no sin around us. A new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. You shall have a resurrection. Both of my parents have died. My first wife died after 10 years of Alzheimer's. I was greatly comforted when I would read in Philippians that we, she shall have a body like unto his glorious body. That's coming on the day of God's judgment, on the day of Christ's return. And we shall have the full moral likeness of Jesus. That's a very encouraging text, Matthew 25. However, I keep reading and I come to this. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It was prepared for the devil and his angels who fell before Adam and Eve did. And this place prepared for the devil and his angels becomes the place of those who follow him against Christ. And then we read, and all these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's interesting to me that here both things can be put together as something that happens in the same moment. For example, 2 Thessalonians 1, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance, I hope you have no vengeance because God says vengeance is mine, not yours. I shall repay, not you, but he was saying, I actually shall repay. Vengeance is not only mine. I shall exercise it. That's God speaking as God. 
So he will come inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they shall, will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. In Revelation 20, the Apostle John saw a vision. Now, you must remember a vision is something like a dream. It's not something actually happening out there, but it's giving you a picture. And if it's a vision from God to his apostle to be given to us, it is a vision of something that is true and realistic. And so John wrote, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Uh-oh. What's in those books? Well, we read in another part of the Bible, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If the billions of people who shall stand before God, before the great white throne, and you have a book of their sins, you can imagine what kind of a pile of books that would be. So the books are just a way of speaking a way that people would understand. No criminal trial is fair unless there's a statement of the charges. What is the evidence? Do you know where my sins are recorded and stored up? Or where they were? In the mind of God. Do you want to happen to my sins when I believed in the Lord Jesus? Then the words became so for me. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. But I picture my friend, uh, I happen to like Bill, and I picture him there on the judgment day. And I can see him say, oh, this is terrible. This is... And I'm saying, for me, this is a wonderful day. Wonderful day? What do you mean? It's a wonderful day. Because you see who's up there seated on that throne? The judge? I committed all these sins. The judge demands in his justice death for my sins. You know what he did? He died for my sins. And your problem is that you will die for your sins. Ah, the difference is there, there are two ways to face God. One would be just to face, just to have God plus you plus your sins. That's hell, folks. For the believer in Christ is God plus me 
plus a mediator who stands between us and my sins. And you open the book of my sins, the reasons God could send me to hell, and the pages are gone because 2,000 years ago, they were nailed on the cross and their sins and their iniquities I will not remember against them any more. I've been freed. I've been saved by the blood of Christ. Now you might think, they do think now, you Christians are crazy to think that you would stand before God as a judge and the judge suffered for your sins. The judge paid your penalty? Jesus is the judge. Because when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he is the one who shall sit on that throne. Well, if we continue Revelation 20, it says another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in those two different kinds of books according to what they had done and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done and if anyone's name was not found in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire now we talk about people going to hell I want to tell you about somebody who went to hell we uh, refer to him quite often this way. And I believe in his only begotten son who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. Jesus descended into hell because he came under the wrath of God, his Father, towards my sin. So the gospel is, Jesus went to hell for me. And the warning is, if you don't have to, Jesus, you'll go to hell on your own with no mediator. You get the impression, I hope, that this is serious stuff. In the book of Jude, a book I don't hear quoted very often, it's only one chapter. In my Bible, it's a page and a quarter of a page. Read it. In there, you will find this kind of reminder. Now, I want to remind you that Jesus, who long ago before his incarnation, he was the Lord of his people as they left Egypt and went into the promised land, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. That is what it says in Jude. He delivered them, but they didn't believe. And he destroyed them. A warning that must be taken. And the angels who left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. 
I realize that may not be your favorite verse in the Bible. It's a verse that's not thought enough about in the Bible because the Bible is teaching us that the angels who rebelled against God are in hell waiting to go to hell. And that's not a very nice prospect, but that is what the epistle of Jude says. It continues, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Behold, still in Jude, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds and ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, I hope that gives us all a chill that there is a day of reckoning coming. We're not done. I've pulled together a number of scriptures. You know, we could, could pull together on another occasion the same number of scriptures without using these and then not using those two, you could have another whole series of scriptures all speaking to the same thing. We should fear God. We should make him seriously. His uh, apostle Peter says, wrote this, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept unto the judgment. Peter and Jude said the, exactly the same thing. He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, and seven others, only seven others besides Noah, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Do you realize what we believe if we believe the Bible? We believe the entire population of the world was wiped out in the judgment of God with the exception of one man and his wife and three sons and their wives and each son had one wife and each one was married only to a woman. Had to stick that in somewhere. Well, uh, that's, uh, we've had the angels judged, the population of the world in the days of uh, Jonah. And here we go again, Sodom and Gomorrah. He turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, and he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. I'm reading this from 2 Peter 2. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly 
See, the coming of the Lord is wonderful. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. After 2 Peter chapter 2 comes 2 Peter chapter 3, where we read, scoffers will come in the last day. Can you imagine me giving this talk in Congress or in a court? Or, uh, can you imagine me giving it in a public school? One day in Hong Kong, I was giving the gospel to children in a school, and, and it was already controlled by Beijing, and I stood there. Isn't this interesting that I can do this in a school in Hong Kong, ruled by a communist government, or back then you could, and I wouldn't be allowed to do this back home. Okay. Scoffers will come in the last days, and these scriptures are things that would be scoffed at. The scoffers will say, yeah, where's the promise of his coming? I mean, you, you silly Christians, you've been waiting for the coming of the Lord for 2,000 years. And we say, uh, well, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. We've got nothing to worry about. After all, we, we, we actually believe God can't break a promise. God doesn't know how to lie, and we can't teach him. That's a wonderful thing. Oh, uh, back to the text. Uh, the scoffers say, uh, all things are continuing as they were. How dumb can you get? Was God, they said, since creation, all things continue as they were. Would you suppose that the flood in the days of Noah, which destroyed everybody but eight people, would, would, would you say that all things are continuing as they were? God wiped out Babylon, God wiped out Assyria, God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, Zeboim and some other city. You go to the United Nations in New York and you look at all the nations, the little plaque in front of the ambassador, and there's no Babylon, at one time the greatest power in all the earth. There's no Assyria, there's no Sodom, there's no Gomorrah. God wiped them out. It's not true that all things continue as they were. Peter says, Remember, he has, he has the flood in mind. But he says this. God promised, you know, he'd never destroy the earth again with a flood. But the heavens and earth that now exist, says Peter, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, Thieves do not usually call you a few days in advance and ask when you'll not be home and how long you will be away and then say before they hang up, thank you very much, I'll be over. I never met a thief like that. And the Lord does not announce the timing of his coming. And all the people who make predictions of his coming, um, 
Does anybody give me a nice word for idiot? I can't think of one right now. But uh, that's definitely going against God's word. We better start back again. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be built up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? He doesn't stop there. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which Righteousness dwells. I've heard people after uh, or when the gospel is being shared with them who would say something like this. We may ask, you know, what is your hope for when you stand before God? What is your hope of heaven and eternal life. And some people will say, all I ask from God is that God deal with me in his justice. And you cringe. He just wrote his own ticket to hell. You don't want to stand before God in his justice, especially because somebody else stood before God in his justice and settled things for you. So we are utterly dependent upon the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ has taken our place. In Hebrews 10, we read about people who were turning away from the one sacrifice of Christ, headed back to the daily sacrifices, plural, that go on every day in the temple because this was their Jewish tradition, not realizing that those things had been fulfilled in Christ and all such sacrifices would cease because the sacrifice that saves has occurred. But some are going back. So the writer of Hebrews said, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Later in that paragraph, God says again, vengeance is mine. What a wonderful thing that the vengeance of God against my sin fell on my Savior. But Hebrews 10 reiterates, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And again, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Either Christ is our sacrifice or we become the sacrifice for our own sins. 
sometimes people need illustrations. Sometimes I picture our salvation this way. We have sinned. We have sinned against God. That makes God the victim of our sin. Unfortunately for the sinner, God is also the witness to our sin. He's also the prosecutor of our crime of sin. But he's also the judge who will decide the issue that he brings before himself. And God is the executioner, and the wages of sin is death. Now, how's that for a pretty picture for a sinner? One more thing. God decided to send into this world who was a person born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary, and God decided to send for us a defense attorney. And the defense attorney took over our case. And if you can picture the Lord Jesus approaching the bench to speak to his father, you know how defense attorneys work? Oh, judge, he didn't really do it. Oh, he may have done it, but he has a good heart. I love that one. Just murdered somebody, but he's got a good heart. Well, we have a defense attorney who will have nothing to do with falsehood. And the father and the son are face to face. And our defense attorney agrees with the judge that we are guilty. Now, where's our salvation come from? But Father, a body you have prepared for me, says that in Hebrews 10, and in this body I shall make, because I have come to do your will, O oh my God, I shall make the sacrifice of my body, and you can lay all the sins that they committed upon me. I will take the penalty. And then our defense attorney intercedes for us. And he says, now, Father, you can let them go free. The price has been paid. You cannot punish twice for the same sin, me and them. I took it all. Praise the Lord. I'm sorry you're Presbyterians. You would have been saying amen. <laughs> this is wonderful. Our hearts should be greatly cheered that this happens. I, by the way, I am a Presbyterian also. Now, somebody will argue because uh, they don't know what God is like, and they don't think he'd really do it. Sometimes they uh, think, you know, God doesn't have the guts to do that. Uh, the Christian answer is, oh, yeah? But one of the objections that come to us is someone will say, uh, but I believe that God is merciful and he's nice. 
and he'll give us a second chance. I want to say something about that second chance. And the way to understand the second chance is to understand the first one. In the Garden of Eden was a man without sin and a wife without sin, and along came the tempter. And Adam and Eve both had the free will and ability to resist the temptation. And they both ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam did that, he represented all of his descendants, a few of which are here today. <laughs> and he made the decision of what we would be. He became a sinner, and in him we became sinners. So God could say, that was your first chance. Your second chance is that God sent into the world another Adam to be a representative of all of his people in the human race. And he obeyed for us. And in him we are forgiven, and in him we receive righteousness, and God can declare us just, the doctrine of justification. That's your second chance. You lost out in the first Adam, and you're offered now this invitation in the second Adam. So put your trust in him. Ah, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to live my life. I'm sure God will give me a second chance. I think the message they need to hear is there's no third. You're offered now the gospel. So people have this view of God. I'm, I'm sure they would say, well, I've been reading the Bible over and over here. I'm sure people would still say, yeah, you know, I think my God's more merciful than your God. I've been told that. Then have you heard that one? My God's more merciful than your God. And, and what they're really saying, is that what God is really like? I want to read you something chilling. I have a hunch that this is not well known to everybody. It's from the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is godly wisdom, which is presented as a woman who speaks to sinners. And wisdom cries aloud in the streets, in the markets. She raises her voice. She speaks. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. I have called and you refuse to listen, says wisdom. I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. You have ignored all my counsel because of this, God speaking. I also will laugh at your calamity. God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked but he can answer the mocker with mockery. He says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you like a storm, when anguish comes upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not listen. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because 
they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now, tell me, does he have the guts to go through with fulfilling his warnings? Yes. But it ends this way. You, you, right now, you could use a little positive gospel. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, I've read a number of scriptures. When the service is over, they're going to put them up. And some of you might say, where do you get all that stuff? Well, you, you can write down those chapters, and, uh, and on your own, you can read them. I um, was a little late for Sunday school class this morning because I had to get uh, dressed with clothes I don't like. I don't usually wear. Uh, I feel funny in them, and they don't fit. And uh, while well, you live in New Mexico very long, you're, you're going to uh, dress uh, relaxed. We belonged to a church that didn't have any place to hang a coat when it came out. No, nobody wears coats in the winter. But I also had to choose a tie. I've forgotten how to tie them. It's been a while, a long time. But I picked out this one, as you all can realize. This is the McLeod Tartan. Because my great-grandmother was a McLeod. She was a very loyal Presbyterian and could probably quote the shorter catechism. But some preachers came to town, and my great-grandmother, McLeod, went to hear these men preach. Of course, she had to wear her hat and coat. This was in Sydney, Nova Scotia. And she went and listened to these preachers, and she found out that she was not saved. She was baptized. She thought they made her a Christian. It didn't. It was a claim of God upon her life. But she found out she was not saved. And she found out she needed to be. And she found out how that she would simply put her trust for her salvation in the Savior. I've never met my great-grandmother McLeod, but I shall. That reminds me of a Scottish lady who was dying at home. The nicest place to die is at home, isn't it? And the minister came to see her and asked about her hope, and she made clear that she believed in the gospel promise of God. And the minister, strange thing to say to a dying woman, but he, uh, he was probing, I guess, and he said, uh, but what if you uh, should not go to heaven but die and go to hell? Well, the Scottish lady had an answer for that minister. And she said to him, oh, pastor, that would be a dreadful thing for me, for I shall lose my soul that it would be worse for God because he would lose his honor. God cannot lie to us. He is satisfied with Jesus' life, his righteousness, and his death. 
you believe your sins are wiped out and his righteousness is given to you. Jesus says what you should do. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's another promise he doesn't know how to break. And through the prophet Isaiah, centuries ago, God said this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Please join me in prayer. Father, we say to you, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions? You do not retain your anger forever because you delight in steadfast love and you will again have compassion on us who believe. You will tread and have trod our iniquities underfoot on the cross and you have cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Father, may all of your people be those who love his appearing and we pray that none here will belong to those who must dread the day of his appearing. In Jesus' name, amen.